around here. Captain! Signatures detected. Shield up. Signatures detected. Context Southeast Command. What happened? Context Southeast Command. Delay that order. Context Southeast Command. This is the captain. Context Southeast Command. Get out of my chair. Chair, 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 chair. We have engaged the Klingons. 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 Welcome to the greatest discovery. It's a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. This is a big week for us. <laughs> this is the week of the premiere episode of the second season of Star Trek Lower Decks. Yeah. It's the reason we're doing a rewatch episode right now. But it is also the day before you and I are flying to Vegas for Star Trek Las Vegas. Oh, man, you just scared me because we're recording this way in advance. <laughs> like, oh, shit, what do I have to do tomorrow? <laughs> yeah, you get to pack for Vegas now. Yeah, god damn it. You always want to pack for Vegas two weeks before leaving for Vegas. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to Vegas. Very much looking forward to uh, maybe not even going into the convention at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it could be like that. Yeah. Uh, one place I'm I'm excited to go to is the premiere event for season two of Star Trek Las Vegas. We were just notified that there is an event. Oh yeah. We ha- we have not yet been invited, but uh, we're you, working. You, you 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 mean the premiere event of Star Trek Lower Decks? Is that not what I said? Uh, you said lemons, and what you meant <laughs> was Star Trek Lower Decks. Uh huh. Yeah, that happens from time to time on this show. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know if that's going to be out yet by the time this is out. <laughs> I don't think it Ask- is. People won't know what that's about, Adam. That's going to be that's going to fly over the heads of the friends of DeSoto. That'll be like on our first contact tour when we were like doing bits from episodes that hadn't released yet on stage yeah. and crowds were like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> Oh, I didn't think the crowd was like that at all. I thought I thought they were very uh, like that 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 quality that Steve Martin described in his audiences before he retired from stand up comedy. These people will laugh at anything. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I knew we were bulletproof comedically. I had a I, I have a very hazy memory of saying something about that episode where Data loses his memory and like walks into town with a briefcase full of radioactive uh-huh. crap and mm-hmm. starts killing everybody accidentally and like doing One of the great episodes like referencing a bit from that episode on stage and like the entire crowd yelling at me that i was like ruining a joke for them because they hadn't heard that episode yet it was like oh yeah shit <laughs> i just want to say that like not being the recipient of that kind of yelling and just watching you endure it mm-hmm that's a great moment for me. <laughs> <laughs> so you remember it too. Yeah. It's a fond memory of yours. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's yeah, just it's, it's a memory of mine in which I was not funny and also couldn't do math. So <laughs> it's really yeah. compounded shame. It is. You're a compounding pharmacy of shame <laughs> sitting next to me at any live show. Uh, yeah. It, it really fun. smarts. <laughs> Yeah, Lower Decks premiere is happening. I I sent an email to our contact inside the Big Rod mothership asking if they had any spare code. So maybe we'll get to go. You're used to this, though. You hear about something you're not invited to, and this has been happening your entire life. Mm -hmm. You hear you're not invited to a thing. Ben asks to be invited to the thing. Yeah. 
I'm glad you're on this one. (laughs) (laughs) Why not? If not, I think you're up for going with our buddy Ben Fritz. I think that, uh, I think it's your turn. Oh, is it? I think so. My turn with the Fritz. Yeah. I'll I mean, take it. He's a great hang. It's going virtually, right? It's not a it's not an in-person event, is it? It's an in-person event. Oh shoot, I didn't know you that. You didn't even read the the invitation that we didn't get. I did you not. You don't know what to take umbrage with. I uh I take the mildest of umbrage at not being invited. I, I wouldn't assume that they would think of us. The CBS lot in Studio City. Wow, cool. Is the location. Man. I need to get some uh, some Star Trek face masks. That's what I need to do. I had one and I lost it. A friend of DeSoto sent sent me one like early in the onset of the pandemic, and uh, I, I it was one of my favorite face masks, and I lost it. Yeah, you gave me your second one, and uh, I didn't. I they, still got it. They sent us two: one for me, one for you. It wasn't my second one, Adam. <laughs> Give me a fucking break. <laughs> This is how I talk about anything in my life. Yeah. Just just a little stabby. Just a little stabby, implying that, <laughs> yeah, don't do me any favors. <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to be wearing a, a Star Trek face mask covered in pins, <laughs> weighing it off of the front of my face. <laughs> it's going to be great. Yeah. Well, what we did for today's episode, Adam, is we, uh, this may be the last time we ever get to do this because I'm just predicting there will always be a new episode of Star Trek every week for the rest of our lives yeah. going forward. But we, we rewatched the entire first season of Lower Decks to, uh, to, to re-review as a, as a unit. You want to get into it, little buddy? Yeah, let's just take on the whole thing. A whole thing that can be watched in an afternoon, yeah. if you're so motivated. So let's get into it. It's Star Trek Lower Decks Season 1. It doesn't have a title. It's just Season 1. Yeah. <laughs> season 1. The Seasoning. A show that's already been renewed for the third season. That's always fun, right? You're yeah. You're getting ready to start a new season, and you know that there's one coming after that. Yeah. You gotta. You, that's that's like uh, you know, put a down payment on a house. Time for Mike McMahon, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Who is like handcuffed to Kurtzman? Like Kurtzman's five-year deal includes Mike McMahon. Oh, interesting. So one could assume, yeah, five seasons of Lower Decks. Yeah, maybe. Well, but you know what happens when you assume? Yeah, you get canceled <laughs> after the fourth season. <laughs> uh. I thought back on Lower Decks before I started my rewatch, and I thought back fondly on how it's a show where there's just an episode of the week, and you know you don't need to have watched the previous episode necessarily to get it. And I think that's true, but I think that one thing that really stuck out to me on uh, the rewatch was how much of an arc there is over the course of the season. Yeah. And uh, that that surprised me, given my memory of it. It did me too. And it's a, not just an arc to the story, but an arc to the characters. Right. They all really grow in their own individual ways. And probably, probably the least is Mariner. <laughs> she does that full circle thing. She does. I mean, it's sort of, it seems like at the end, Mariner 
has a new kind of arrangement, but it it is an arrangement that honors the personality she arrived with yeah. rather than asking her to change. Um, right. But I think it's interesting how much of the first eight episodes are about, like, no one can know this terrible secret that, that Mariner is, quote unquote, Starfleet royalty. Yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting for how grounded the series or the season is in that knowledge it never has anything to do with an individual episode's conflicts really yeah it just kind of runs in the background right yeah until like until that last episode where like ransom can't not suck ass yeah (laughs) which is a very funny turn for that character he's like the barrel-chested swashbuckling First officer who suddenly becomes a total pushover. Be hard on me. I'm only hard on you when you make me hard. I mean, I'm I'm not hard right now. I mean, I could I could get hard. I think the rewatch really allowed me to appreciate the ransom character and Jerry o- O'Connell's performance even more than yeah. I did the first time around because I think it's easy when you're voice acting opposite the actors we have in this series to sort of, at least I did. I kind of lost Jerry O'Connell in the mix. But I, I super appreciated him on the rewatch. I really did too. I think I think it's a really funny, it's a very funny role. I I thought a lot about the voice performances in general and and like how big you have to get when you're yeah. performing a cartoon character. Like I, you know, I I can't even imagine what it is like to sit in the booth and lay down the that track, you know, as Jerry O'Connell or whatever, and like get that like outrageous with it. Yeah, because like. I mean, we do a dick and fart joke podcast, and I don't ever get that outrageous unless I'm like, I guess, I guess when I'm doing a character, that's that's when it happens, right? Right, right. I feel like Ransom to me is Boimler plus confidence. Like if if Boimler was not so self conscious and and green, he he would turn into a Ransom. I think. I thought the same thing. And Jack Quaid goes to Eleven with super sad and pouty. Yeah. In the same way that, that Jerry O'Connell goes to Eleven with hyper-masculine and confident. Right, right. <laughs> in a way that hits every time. And I wonder if if when you're casting for voice, if that isn't the read you need to make sure you've got locked down with a character like Boimler, who is asked to act that way every episode. Right. Because for as often as he he is sad and pouty, he's not hateable ever. And I, I think that is some magic to have that kind of pout and to not lose us as viewers who are rooting for him or his character. Yeah. It's interesting that he's like one of those characters that like thinks he's the main character, but clearly isn't. Yeah. And I mean, he's, he is the main character in a few of the episodes, but I think on balance, it's much more a show about Mariner than it is a show about him. Yeah. And I think that maybe helps keep him out of the hateability v- vortex. Well, I think the what's interesting about the rhombus of characters, the, the Mariner, Boimler, Tendi, Rutherford shape of things, is that the three characters who aren't Mariner are often the mission right. that Mariner must go on. Right. In any particular episode. It struck me also how, like, if they are, like, the four main characters, how much 
Tendy and Rutherford feel like they are background main characters. Like mm-hmm. they almost always are the B story, unless it's like a an episode where they shuffle it and it's Boimler teaming up with Tendy to go on the on the nightmare ship to the farm or whatever. Yeah, yeah. That episode in particular, I thought hit just as hard as the first time around. This is a season I feel like that got stronger and stronger as the episodes went by. Yeah. And I feel like the last three or four episodes are Lower Decks at its best. Yeah. And I wonder to what extent that is because of the growth that you were talking about in the beginning. Like, do we need to have gone on the first six episodes with these characters to really appreciate what we get in the last four? Yeah, I think that there is some table setting that has to happen. And I think that the the last episode is really a great example of this show being peak, dumb, smart fun, like Mm -hmm. using the pack leads as the super bad at the end of a season, like both feels like appropriate to the show, but also kind of needling shows like Star Trek Discovery that have to have like a huge existential crisis to solve by the end of the season. Mm -hmm. Like. It feels like it's it's very much like making fun of that as a premise while also being, you know, true to, to lower decks. Jet fucking rules. Jet rules. <laughs> this is a this is a jet stand podcast. Uh-huh. Um <laughs> it's weird that there's a jet on Discovery also. <laughs> I think it's jet the jet character and references to jet are emblematic of a kind of comedy that, that this show does and does extremely well. Yeah. Which is the throwaway line. Yeah. Which is one of my favorite bits in any comedy ever. Like the stuff that's yelled from off screen about, yeah. about a shitty Starbase. Go work on Starbase 80. Oh, damn, Starbase 80. Or someone from, from in the deep background talking about how much jet rules right or or a guy on the crystal planet just yelling crystals because he likes crystals so much yeah (laughs) yeah that is really that's my favorite part of this show is stuff like that and i feel like every episode has a little bit of that seasoning incorporated in it i wonder how much they think about what the balance is going to be like how much of a Star Trek story does it have to be versus how much of a comedy story does it have to be? Like how much straight ahead versus absurd? Yeah, because like it is a very different balance, like as we talked about in our Futurama episode from from that show, which can like continuity of starship damage is a thing in Lower Decks and is not in Futurama. You can destroy Mm -hmm. the Planet Express in one shot and be flying in it two shots later and it's fine and like i think that the this show is like much more constrained to like a plausibility like given the rules of tng basically like these all of these adventures have to be plausibly within all of those rules that are set up there and it can't just be a completely insane joke fest because of that it's interesting that someone like tim robinson is in this show as someone who represents what happens when you go all the way absurd with comedy. Right. And I and I love I think you should leave. I think it's one of the 
the best things I've seen in years. But it's a different school of comedy. And people are mad at me because I showed a bunch of naked dead bodies with their spread blue butts flying out of boxes. Really? That he is a student of, or, or a faculty member of, really. <laughs> He's the professor emeritus of absurd. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny to see his comedy aesthetic mix with this. Right. Because his his reads are so similar to Jack Quaid's in so many ways, I think. Just, and it's it's funny how the Fletcher character is so much like every Tim Robinson character on I Think You Should Leave. This has been like a learning experience for me. Was that out by the time this aired or like I'm trying to remember the timeline. Could like were they just like a was that an offer only? Like this character is so much on the vibe of characters from I Think You Should Leave that we could just get him to do this. Season one Lower Decks came out in August of 2020, so I think season one I Think You Should Leave was out. Nice by then, and it was a smash. Yeah, good job. The voice cast is so stacked. Yeah, is. Another element to this that is crazy, like on down the line, watching the credits after every episode, it's just bangers all the way down with voice actors. And it's one of the reasons why this show is so great and funny. I want to have as many credits on one show as Jess McKenna. It feels like she's in every episode doing something. (laughs) Yeah. And she rules. She really does. It's maybe the strongest argument for us never being on the show is how fucking yeah how much how much the show would be slumming it to absolutely <laughs> to work with people like us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, not to bring that up right after our our flawless audition tape we just recorded, but <laughs> just classic. Yeah. What do you see for the future of the show? I mean, the it's interesting. Uh, I mean, I guess we could answer this. I don't know if you have your eye on your email inbox, but I just saw that we received an email with links for uh, season two episodes. I don't have that. Where was it sent? Oh, it didn't come to you? Nope. You have been selected to receive advanced digital press screeners of episodes 201 through 205. Wow. That (laughs) really helps us with production. That gives us a big jump. What a breath of fresh air that is. I know. That means we don't have to record from Star Trek Las Vegas. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be... Which means you don't have to carry a bunch of audio gear around. I mean, and I don't have to take audio gear to my family reunion right after Star Trek Las Vegas. Yeah. Wow, that's great. Thanks to our pals at CBSL Access. Yeah. Huge. For, uh, for inviting us to parties and giving us screeners. That's how you know you've made it. Yeah. We have arrived. I don't think that they've ever given us screeners like this. I don't I mean they've they've told us that that, that screeners don't even exist before. Yeah. And now they've really changed their tune. Yeah. Wow. Breaking news here on the program. I can't believe that happened while we were recording. That's great. That's why the dozens of people who subscribe to The Greatest Discovery, (laughs) continue to do so. Yeah. There's got to be some reason for that. (laughs) An article came out this week that that posited the question, is Lower Decks canon? This is an article that I didn't read because I wanted specifically to chop it up with you. Okay. 
And then we'll get back to predictions for the future. Maybe we should save predictions for yeah. more toward the end of our yeah. episode. I was I was just so excited about it. I got I jumped ahead. Do you think it is do you think it matters is the follow-up question. Um I don't think it matters a ton to me because Star Trek is a place but I also like don't think of it as having had an extremely strong continuous canon to begin with. You know, there's stuff in the original series that is contradicted in The Next Generation and stuff in the movies that is contradicted in the shows and stuff. Having everything work like a Swiss watch, Marvel Cinematic Universe-wise, does not make or break a universe for me. Yeah. And, and in fact, I think the Swiss watchness of the Marvel Cinematic Universe is almost a part of why it like that is not as important a franchise to me is like it doesn't feel like a like a fun and unpredictable enough place to visit at this point. And so while I don't think it matters whether Lower Decks is canon or not a ton, I think it is and I think that they do interesting stuff to like make sure it like lines up with stuff like Riker captaining the Titan for example. Mm-hmm feels very much like a nod to its place in canon. And I think that it's a great way to write in canon to set it on a ship that is not important about characters that are not that important. I agree on both counts. The Star Trek universe is larger than the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's like in size. Wow. That is a scorching hot take. (laughs) I mean, I'm just talking about geography. Like we're talking about light years here. And I think that's one of the reasons why Lower Decks comports itself into my Star Trek is a place fan theory, Mm -hmm. which is like this can easily and totally exist canonically inside the Star Trek universe because it's so large. Right. This is far, far away from the people and the things that we know generally in Star Trek, and that's why it is permitted the freedom to look and feel like it does. I love that about it. I love that it, like, kind of carves its own corner of the canon, too. Like, their uniforms, like, I guess the uniforms on California-class ships being a little different from the ones that people wear on whatever class the Titan is. Yeah, and you see that when Boimler gets the promotion. Right. He's he's dressed like them. I don't believe this. You're going to put that thing on and parade around like one of them? Yeah. Now he's dressed like them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I also really love how, you know, like the... We've always known that, like, post-TOS characters think of Kirk and Spock and McCoy as being, like, important historical figures. But I love that in Lower Decks, like they add to that by thinking of Dr. Crusher as an important historical figure to <laughs> to Tendi, you know? Right. The the glue characters, not just the top line characters. Yeah. And the fact that they can like occasionally meet those characters and like have fun interactions with them and stuff is it it really rules. What do you think of when you think of male grooming? Maybe it's a sharp haircut and a little bit of product. Or a bit of the old beard wax twisted into the ends of a mustache. Maybe it's a shower, a shave, a little spritz of fragrance. Me? I think of shaving my nuts. And not just my nuts, all around those nuts. I'm talking all around those nuts. 
And this form of male grooming is hard to do when your junk looks like a log of Play-Doh rolled through a dustpan in a barber shop. It's wrinkly, it's wriggly, nothing stays in place, and it's the one area where you don't want to have an accident. That's why I'm glad we're sponsored by the spring cleaning champions at Manscaped. They sent me their brand new Lawnmower 5.0 Ultra. It's their fifth generation trimmer, featuring two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blade heads, a standard one for taking a little bit off the top, and a new foil blade to go smooth, wherever your heart desires. They also sent me an extra-large Manscaped t-shirt, which I will never wear, but it was nice of them to do. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code TREK at manscaped.com. Nothing like a little spring cleaning in your pants. I spent a lot of last week sick in bed. And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times, and they are delicious, fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted meals. And they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab-and-go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use code trek50 to get 50% off. That's code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. It says it right on the box. Lower Decks is about the unsung Starfleet characters who who do the grunt work on the grunt ships that right. that do second and third and fourth and fifth contact all the behind the scenes stuff yeah if you think the enterprise d going on a uber mission taking a diplomat from one planet to another is grunt work <laughs> you ain't seen nothing yet i think the show has a lot to say about that generally 
But also what happens when you are like the captain and the XO of the Cerritos are really good at their jobs. Yeah. What happens when you're that good? Like you're good enough to be the best of the fine, (laughs) but not good enough to be the best of the best. Yeah. It's sort of like our medium successful podcasting career. We're never going to be up at the Mark Marin level. Nobody is going to think we invented podcasting the way they think Serial invented podcasting. Right, but in the way that TV and movies like lionize the hero, yeah. The best of the best every time. Like I think this is something that we discussed all throughout season 1 of Lower Decks was just how much of a corporate allegory the show is. Yeah. It's a story about working in corporate America. It is. I think it's like simultaneously that and a story about like if TNG is real, then like we only got to see like the most exciting, most momentous stuff that happens at the very upper crust of that. And and you and you have to imagine that there is a, you know, a huge iceberg underneath the stories that we got from TNG. And I think that like making fun of the quotidian is, is something that this show does really well. It's one of the things I like the most is is finding those familiar beats in how the characters are feeling about having their creativity stifled or in their attempts to repudiate stuffy Federation stuff. Right. Because by repudiating that, they're repudiating the stuffy corporate life that that can smother a creative thinker like a like a mariner like mariner's thinking and her actions are often destructive but i mean i think the case remains like (laughs) like for all of them yeah i love that uh she thinks about herself as a robin hood type (laughs) yeah i mean i guess that there's something to corroborate that the way she like interacts with the locals when she's giving shovels and hoes to farming aliens or crayons and paints to uncreative aliens or whatever but right mostly it's just that she's a a chaotic troublemaker (laughs) did you find yourself liking her more or less as the series went on as you got to experience more of her chaos agency throughout the show i mean i think that she is a character there are times when i see myself in a character in a movie or a television show and there are times when i see other kinds of people that like i i encounter in my day-to-day life and i'm confused by and i think that she is very much the latter like she reacts to an uh, a non-ideal situation by throwing fists at it and changing it not necessarily for the better but just so that she is like control over it and it's just not my way, you know. I, I would say, like, my acceptance of discomfort is probably just as low as hers, but the way I react to discomfort is pro- is is really different. And so... Which I, is why I, I feel like her Robin Hood description of herself is wrong, though, because I find at, at most turns she's acting in her own interest instead of 
protecting or helping her friends. I protest. I am not a merry man. Yeah, and it's. I think that episode where they have the uh, the substitute captain, her who's her old friend from the academy, is maybe the most yeah. interesting exploration of that because. The second it actually matters when the when the ship is getting torn apart and they're in real danger, that switch flips and suddenly she's capable and they're like, oh, you were being a fuck up because you don't want to get promoted. Yeah. Like you were being a fuck up out of like totally selfish right. motivation and you're actually fucking great at this. Do you think you can like Lower Decks if you don't like Beckett Mariner? I think you can because I think that you can like the other characters and you can like the jokes, you know? Yeah, I mean, just hearing you describe Mariner's storyline, both generally throughout the season and specifically episode to episode, like, it doesn't make her very likable yeah. in description, but it, she's one of those characters that you just have to be with to get and like. Yeah, I mean, I think about it maybe in similar terms to Mitch Buchanan, who we talk about a lot on the hit Baywatch podcast, the Santa Monica Mountains. Oh yeah, he ma- he makes lots of decisions that I don't love, and occasionally makes like really colossal mistakes. But on balance, overall, he's a character I really like. You know, yeah. and I think this is emblematic of how new Star Trek characters are composed right now. It feels like the Star Trek of our youth often gave us more perfect characters in the beginning and then chipped away Mm -hmm. to reveal their flaws to us over time in a way that made them feel more real. And new Star Trek seems to be taking that on in the reverse order, right? Right. So we're being presented with a bunch of flawed characters who are then able to rise above their flaws and the challenges of an episode in order to endear themselves to us as time goes on, right? They don't start... With all the power-ups. Right. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I think I think that's a great way of thinking about it. I mean, like, Boimler maybe seems like the kind of character that would fit in really well on an Enterprise-D. As far as we can tell at the beginning, his primary character flaw is thirstiness. Mm-hmm. But I think that his arc has been really interesting, too, because... That thirstiness has come at the cost of his proximity to his friends. And it may be that the the friendships that he's formed on the show are the kind of friendships you form in a dorm freshman year of college. It's like, oh, this person sleeps across the eight foot wide room from me. He is yeah. now my best friend, you know, but then like sophomore year is not your best friend anymore. The bunk bed friendship of circumstance is different from the one that you get. Like a time friendship is different from a proximity friendship. Exactly. And so I think that the big question I have going into season two is, was this just a proximity friendship or is it a time friendship? And I'm guessing that that's the case that's being made is that Boimler and and Mariner specifically are like best buds for real. And... Boimler is going to hate being on the Titan for the reason that it is not a ship that he gets to serve on with his day one homies. I don't want to pivot into predictions right now, but it's such a perfect moment to ask the question. Let's let's pivot, baby. I think that I think predictions is going to be a substantial part of this conversation. Over under five episodes that <laughs> Boimler is on the Titan next season. 
like oh, as, a, as a crew, as yeah. a crew person over there? I think I'm going to take the under on that personally. I think I'm also going to take the under, but I want it to be the over because I think the further apart our characters are, the larger the universe becomes to yeah, us. Totally. And I and I want to I want to keep growing that space. I want to keep exploring yeah. uh, its outer perimeter. I'd say that like any more Frakes on the show, like any time I see Frakes playing Riker, it makes me more intimidated by him and less likely to strike up a conversation if I had an opportunity to. So <laughs> no way. I have some mixed feelings yeah. there. Sure. Sure. I get that. What do you think about his rank? He got a uh he got a a half pip added to his collar at the end of episode 10. Do you think that it's a demotion to go back to the Cerritos if that's his uh, his arc? Or I just... don't think that's how promotions and demotions happen though. I think I think the pip goes with you from place to place. It's like having car insurance, right? Your insurance <laughs> goes with you when you drive any car. Right. Yeah. Uh, That's I mean, why you should never get the insurance when you rent one. But Mariner has oscillated between full lieutenant and ensign twice. That right, we know but it of. never had anything to do with her ship assignment. That's true. Yeah, but she also like constantly sabotaged threats of getting you know sent to the Sacramento or whatever. So right. Yeah, I, 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 it'll be interesting to see because he he like outranks her but she's also got like way more experience than yeah than he does so i don't know yeah do you have do you have a prediction there do you think do you think boimler does something to get demoted does he take a page from the mariner playbook oh that's interesting and like uh demotion by cops basically yeah. <laughs> on the titan and gets sent back uh-huh. i think that is a very elegant way to do it, especially if he does something that is Mariner-like. Yeah. But I think also that would be so contrary to everything that Boimler is about. Yeah. Like, he is a thirsty promotion guy. Like, he wants that. And and he's got a think, flawless record up until now. Like, that's the other thing is, like, whenever yeah. anybody looks at his CV, they're like, holy shit, you've never made a mistake. Yeah. It's par- it's part of what makes him untrustworthy to, <laughs> to so many people. <laughs> it's hard not to compare Boimler with Wesley Crusher, who was maybe equally as thirsty, but just in a totally different way, right? Right. Yeah. Wesley didn't have any contemporaries to compare to himself. And so as kind of his own deal on TNG, I I think the effect is far different. He has no one to cry for Mm -hmm. on TNG the way Boimler does. (laughs) Right. Because Wesley never had an audience. And there was no threat that like if Wesley went to the Academy, like half of an episode would be like checking in with Wesley's progress there. You know, that was like, that was constantly just like, is Wesley getting written off the show or not? Right. And they they dangled that 20 times over the course of seasons one through three. This is a theme on Lower Decks. I feel like the equal and opposite character construction of a Boimler that is so easily broken versus yeah. a Wesley Crusher who is almost totally stoic. Even when confronted with the idea of dying himself uh-huh. by stepping onto some grass he shouldn't have. <laughs> You know, like he never really lost it in a way that Boimler loses it just about every episode. Yeah, I would have lost it when that when that girl said she wanted to show me something. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, as soon as a girl wants to throw a ball with you. Yeah, 
I'd, I'd be like, huh, I'm not that's, ready. That's very stressful. Actually, there are some games I don't quite know yet. Predictions for Tendi. I feel like I had the least sense of what is changing for Tendi at the end of my rewatch of any of the main four characters. Yeah, she may have been the one that changed the least from episode one to episode 10. Still super smart and creative and smart dumb, right? <laughs> like, like maybe doesn't have a grasp of how smart she is and goes and creates things that could be destructive for herself or for other people. Sure. But also a great match for Rutherford in that same way, who is, I think, also smart dumb. I kind of get the sense that Rutherford is not going to have computer face I guess I I should probably I should probably walk that back because I I'm I'm maybe forgetting seeing his head in the trailers. Yeah. But like it's wrapped up at the end of season one. I guess they they probably have to put something back there, right? So it's probably yeah. maybe it's like a new implant with a whole new set of hilarious flaws. <laughs> I mean, speaking of that scene where Shax tears it off of his head and puts him in the and the shuttle and gets him clear of the explosion. Yeah. Is Badgie alive or dead? Yes or no for season two? <laughs> I mean, I was thinking about Badgie, but also Shax. Like, like such a great character. Can they write him back in? I can appreciate the instinct to, like, go big with the finale and kill a main cast character Yeah, for the act of doing it. But man... I was really heartbroken that it was Shax, a a man that we were just getting to know. Yeah. A man with like really positive masculinity. Yeah, absolutely. In a fun way. The masculinity vacuum is now filled by Ransom, who is someone who does not have great qualities in that area. Yeah. I like looking at, at Ransom's body plenty. Don't don't get me wrong. When uh-huh. uh, when they walk in and he's like working out instead of working. Uh huh. Or when he rips his shirt off to get in a high concept fight with an alien. Sure. I'm into. Or he, it. he does the reload my arms fight move <laughs> before fighting uh, Brandor. Yeah. All of that, a plus. But yeah, Shax is really going to be missed, and um, I think I think that that's a character that doesn't come back. On a show where tactical is such a frequently gone to position, right? Like all of the missions are tactical related. Whoever they replace Shax with is going to be super important. Yeah. It's almost the most important decision that season two needs to make. Yeah. And is it a bit like, is it in the way that Shax is a bit like the, the hulked out Bajoran just being like a version of Bajoran that we never saw in any of the shows? I think he's dead forever and I don't want him to be. What about you? Yeah, I think I agree with I think I agree with that. It sucks. It sucks. But you know, it's Star Trek. Anything could happen. I like being made to feel like this about characters I like though. You know? I do. Like, yeah. Take I them think... off the board. It if I'm feeling this way, it means I care. Yeah. The, the it's a sign of the show's success. Right. What about Mariner? Like if her season one arc is all about the lie or the I guess it's a lie of omission that she is the captain's daughter falling away and then that agreement between the captain and mariner that the captain is going to stay buttoned up and by the book but mariner will now be her kind of like dirty tricks crew member like the person that she can call on to break rules when 
the captain needs a rule broken but can't be seen to be the one affecting that. Does Beckett Mariner become, I don't know, like a CIA person or something? I don't know, but it is consistent with the corporate America allegory, though, and and her her nepotism and to what extent that shields her from the punishments that she should receive or makes her more of a candidate for advancement right. is something that you could see a lot of conflict being sown from. But I wonder how much comedy you could spin from it. Yeah, that's the that was the big question in my mind. Like, I, like thinking about story arc is such a non-comedic thing. Yeah. And I think they do a good job of making her story arc really funny in, in season one. So it's, I mean, maybe it's just a, a knock on my own comedic thinking, but I, it, it is very hard for me to predict a story arc that could be funny based on where they left it in season one. Here's where I'm at though. I really, really, really trust the show to do that. Totally. Yeah. And, and if there's one thing that I took away from the season one rewatch, it's that the show is great and maybe my favorite new Star Trek show. And I'm really looking forward to season two. And I think I want as many seasons as this creative team is willing to put into it. I think it's great. Yeah. It is so funny. It's so fucking good. I think it's worth a subscription to Paramount Plus if you haven't watched it yet and you're just listening to this. I mean, we've we've spoiled all of the big plot twists, but that's not really why you watch this show. Look, if you think we're shilling for Paramount Plus just because we got invited to a party, <laughs> I'll disabuse you of that idea right now. I think the app fucking sucks. And it, conf- is- it confounds me every time I use it why I can't go into the show's table of contents. Right. I don't. I don't know how to do that. You so yeah like in in the app on Apple TV anyways like unlike all other Apple TV apps if you see next episode in the on the screen of a show you are watching you cannot like hold down the, yeah. the button and get into the list of all of the episodes you have to go into the search function yeah. find the listing for the whole show and then look from there it's, it's so fucking annoying. <laughs> So there you go. Yeah. We're not in the pocket and we never have been. I would say that in many ways, the Paramount Plus app is a technical downgrade from the CBS All Access app, which is amazing because the CBS All Access app was really best in breed bad app. Right. Right. Well, uh, probably (laughs) the last CBS party we'll be invited to (laughs) coming up for us. Uh, but looking forward to it nonetheless. Maybe I'll be able to explain myself better in person. Mm. Once I see that the the person responsible for the app at the party, I'll chat them up. Ah, I hope I hope we both get to go to that party. Yeah, me too. Well, if you ever want to come to a greatest discovery party, all you need to do is submit a priority one message, Ben. Oh yeah, let's go check the priority one inbox and see what's in there. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Ben, our first priority one message is of a promotional nature. What? It's from Defested, who is a person familiar to us from uh, a bunch of recent priority one messages on the hit Star Trek podcast, The Greatest Generation. Yes. Here's the message. If you're a faithful watcher of this wonderful podcast, I have a recommendation for you on this very same network. Wow. 
Although the hosts of the show seem to have blatantly stolen many joke formats from Ben and Adam, they do it well. <laughs> it may be new, but you should also watch The Greatest Generation. B&A, while waiting for the new Trek, you should check out Borg War Final Cut, touted as better than Nemesis. Whoa. Robs, we love you and we miss you. Best of luck. So a lot going on there in that promotional message by Defested. Yeah. Uh, the call to action here is check out The Greatest Generation. Maybe that's this thing we don't, we don't do so well on the hit new Star Trek podcast, The Greatest Discovery. We also have a mainline Star Trek podcast called The Greatest Generation. Yeah, go listen to The Greatest Generation if you don't already. Thanks, Defested, for that promotional P1 promoting our own stuff. <laughs> and we have one more P1 here. It's of a personal nature, and it's from Matt L., and it's to Ben Adam and the woman in the Navy I was in line with at the Austin show in 2019. Wow. goes like this. Thank you for the show. The off-season content is so much fun. The interviews and TOS and The Simpsons? WTS? It's roulette. Ben, I'm so sorry. Adam, please hit me with the twain. <laughs> oh, and then there's a line for you to read in your nightmarishly bad Mark Twain impression. Courage is resistance to fear. Mastery of fear, not absence of it. Ben, okay. do you even have a Mark Twain yeah, I occasionally get sucked into doing it with you, even though I hate it more than almost anything in the world. <laughs> uh, and then the, the message concludes, To the woman in the Navy that I stood in line with at the Austin show, it was lovely chatting with you. Very nice message, Matt L. I, uh, I'll overlook that middle part about Mark Twain and say thank you for getting a Priority One message. Wow. Is this a missed connection from Matt L? Is that what this is? I mean, it doesn't sound like he's trying to like get in touch with that person. It sounds like he's no. just saying like it was cool. It was a cool chat, and I and and I was thinking about it afterwards and enjoyed it. You know what's cool is being cool, no strings attached. Being cool, no strings attached rules. That's that's the whole Matt L thing right here. Yeah, and Matt L is it. really is really uh, is really showing the way to do it. It's the mastery of being cool. Mm -hmm. Not the absence of it. <laughs> well, if you'd like to be cool, you can get a Priority One message on the show by going to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron, and we really appreciate it. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you discover yourself an Edward Larkin? Edward Larkin! I did. I think I'm going to give it to Lieutenant Commander Andy Billups. The uh, chief engineer, who is played by Paul Shear, I think maybe I didn't talk about him enough when we were reviewing Lower Decks the first time. Maybe I did, and I just don't remember. But I just think he gets like a lot of really funny moments and is a very funny character. And Paul Paul Shear's performance of him is very funny. It's a great call. Paul Shear is one of those voices that is so familiar, mm -hmm. and is familiar from just absurd comedy contexts. And his own podcast. Yeah. But it's just so, it's so difficult to hear his voice and not be primed to laugh already. Yeah, absolutely. He's just got that kind of, of voice to me. I really love it. Yeah, he's doing great work. I also just really like Paul Shear as a dude. He, he really like puts his money where his mouth is. My wife and I were going to knock on doors for a congressional race that was uh, trying to flip a district here in California 
a couple of years ago and he was there also like to knock on doors with everyone. And I was like, man, Paul Shear is like out here volunteering to help advance a great political cause. And I really admire that about him. Yeah, I do too. Did you have an Edward Larkin, Adam? Yeah, I'm going to get a little weird with mine because I think one of the qualities of season one that we didn't discuss that felt so strong during my binge watch was the musical score. Yeah. And the way that it is one of the stars of this show, the way the Ren and Stimpy score was a star of that show. It's not just a bed for the comedy. It is running side by side with the comedy in yeah. so many parts. In many in many moments, it is the comedy, too. <laughs> like, yeah. like, sometimes the, the show throws the comedy keys to the score. Right. Especially during conflicts and fight scenes and stuff, there's, like, the DNA of Star Trek The Next Generation and the Star Trek that we grew up with is right there in the score. Chris Westlake is the composer for the series. And I think both he and the orchestra are just doing really great work in making this show fun and funny and good. And I think for that reason, I mean, Edward Larkin, crazy person. (laughs) I'm not making the comparison to Chris Westlake as a crazy person. I'm just making sure that uh, he and crew are recognized for their work here. Yeah. Great work, everyone that worked on Lower Dinks. Folks that make the app that your show plays on could really take a a page from your playbook and step their game up. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Well, uh, that was a really fun episode. We're going to be back in one week's time with our first episode of Season 2 of Lower Decks getting reviewed here on the greatest discovery we really appreciate everyone who stuck with us through the off season i'm really really looking forward to digesting some new trek with you man yeah you and me both it's gonna be great i'm psyched i'm psyched that we're just right on the verge of so many more laughs i know it's gonna rule yay all right well we'll see you next week here's some end credits now listen to them The Greatest Discovery is an Uxbridge Shimoda podcast on the Maximum Fun Network. Our music is by the great Adam Ragusea. Follow us on social media. We're at Greatest Trek on Instagram and Twitter. And there are great communities of Friends of DeSoto on all of the big social media platforms. Hey, if you like the show, please help grow it by recommending it to a friend or leaving a nice review in your podcatcher. Maybe get yourself a bit of merch at podshop.biz or set up your monthly support at MaximumFun.org slash join, where you can get access to tons of bonus content. We really think you'll love it. Okay, tune in next week for our review of Season 2, Episode 1 of Lower Decks. It's going to be a fun one. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.